It's time for a Big Blue Kickoff Live. Nobody can ever tell you that you couldn't do it because you did. On Giants.com. You know what I saw? New York Giant Prime. And the Giants mobile app. 17-14 is the final. One touchdown, we are world champions. Believe it, and it will happen. Part of the Giants Podcast Network. Let's go out there like a bunch of crazy dogs. Have some fun. Welcome to Tuesday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live here on Giants.com as well as the mobile app. He is Paul Dottino. I'm Lance Meadow with you for the next 60 minutes, breaking down all that is happening with the New York football Giants in multiple ways you can interact with us here on the program. You give us a ring, 201-939-4513. Can't get to the phones, hashtag Giants Chat on Twitter. You can also tweet directly to each one of us. And as a reminder, you can find the archive of this show and our entire podcast network on the Giants mobile app, podcast platforms everywhere, and at Giants.com slash podcast. So we certainly have some news to go over because the Giants parted ways officially with James Bradbury late yesterday. So we'll get into that, the ramifications, the impact that will have on the roster and guys that certainly will have an opportunity to step up as we move forward here. And let's not hesitate, Paul. Let's start right there because as I mentioned, we got the official word yesterday, but you and I have talked about the speculation and the anticipation of this move in all likelihood coming to fruition for weeks. So this is not anything that should have caught anyone off guard. It was just a matter of could the Giants find a trade partner? Was that possible? Somebody not only willing to accept the fact that they'd have to give up resources, but absorb his contract. And I think that's what probably made it extremely much more difficult to pull off. So ultimately, they cut ties with him. And now the benefit is they get the wiggle room from a salary cap perspective. Let's start there to actually sign the rookie class, which is priority number one. Well, first things first, Aaron Wilson of Pro Football Network had a reported deal that was apparently in place, and I stress that we are not confirming this at all, but it just gives you an understanding or at least a better picture of what may have happened behind the scenes. Aaron Wilson reported the Giants had a deal in place to send him to the Houston Texans and that Bradbury was given permission apparently to talk to Houston about uh, redoing the deal, extending the deal, and obviously Houston wanted that in place if they were going to make a trade. Understandable. And Bradbury and the Texans were $5 million apart in the package that they were talking about redoing. And consequently, Houston decided not to pull the trigger. Now, that's the story coming from Aaron Wilson of Pro Football Network. I don't know how much of that is true, nor do I know if the Giants had any such conversations with other teams. But that's the kind of thing that happens in these situations where you have a player that you may have to deal and the prospective trading partner is going to want to have permission to talk to the guy to see if they can make the contract palatable for their situation. Otherwise, they simply are not going to deal for the player. And that's just well, the way it works. Yeah, I'm completely with you. And that's why I'm emphasizing that because, I mean, even though most Giants fans were anticipating this move, now you actually come to grips with the fact that the Giants are down an extremely productive and veteran corner and they have a lot of youth and a bit of unknown on the back end of the defense, which we'll get into. But to me, this was more of a money, a financial move. Nobody ever went on the record or there were whispers that the Giants did not look at James Bradbury as a productive or good player that could perhaps fit within Wink Martindale's scheme. The problem was there was limited wiggle room in terms of the cap, Paul. They needed to be able to sign the rookie class and also have the ability to bring in some street-free agents. God forbid you suffer injuries or to just round out the roster. So 
Here's an example, I think, and we've been exposed to this across the NFL, where all moves are not made simply because the team is not content with the player. But the finances that come into play were far more influential in this Bradbury situation. And also, if we operate with your report that you brought up based on Aaron Wilson, that to me is another example that I think very few teams were willing to accept Bradbury's contract. This is just my personal opinion, Paul, as is without at least trying to tweak it to help give themselves a little bit more room to operate from a salary cap well, perspective. Well, I'm not even so sure that that might have been the primary obstacle as much as it might have been the extension and the money that would have been required to have that extension. Because let's not forget, you know, from a reasonable financial perspective, Bradbury is a guy who was in the Pro Bowl two seasons ago. He's only 29 years old, in the prime of his career yet, and I still think he is a top-flight, man-to-man cover corner in this league. I don't think the price was so outrageous. His, his contract value wasn't really nuts. It was, you know, not so much off the beaten path. So to me, I think when they talk about Houston being $5 million apart with Bradbury on, on the terms, I have a hunch that probably had to do with maybe a two- or three-year extension that they were going to try to get for him because this is a guy who only had another year left on his deal. Sure. And I think if you're going to make the trade for him, okay, he's going to say, well, I don't want to be packing up my bags every year. If I'm going to do this, uh, I want some security. Some financial and some not only financial security, but some stability in terms of where I'm going to play. So I'm sure he probably wanted some type of assurances from the prospective team, as well as that team probably wanted some type of assurances that, okay, look, we're not taking you as a rental. If we're making a trade for you, we're going to make a trade for you because we think you're going to be an important part of what we want to do. Uh, So I think there's a lot that goes into it, not just the plain old money. It could have also just been the other terms and the length of the deal as well as the five mil. Could have been incentives, could have been guarantees, could have been bonuses. You never know. There were so many different sprockets to this thing. Any one of those sprockets could have been broken. But the bottom line is uh, the Giants, and I explained this to my dad yesterday when he said to me, ah, oh, you know, it really stinks to see him go. And I said, I got it, Dad, but let me let me make let me make something a little more palatable for you. The Giants wound up cutting ties with Bradbury and clearing a little more than $10 million off this year's salary cap. They need about $12 million to sign this year's rookie class. So if it makes you feel any better, they just traded James Bradbury for 11 draft picks, 11 rookies that this coaching staff and this scouting department and this front office truly believes is going to be a part of this team. It's an 11-for-one trade. If that will make you feel any better, look at it that way because that contract was taken away from Bradbury and will now be spread out amongst the 11-member draft class. That certainly is one way to put it. I just I go back to, I think all of those factors you laid out, though, to me, all fall under the umbrella of finances, no matter how you want to spin it. So that's why I'm looking at money as a big key contributor in terms of how things played out. And also, to your point about a team that wanted to bring him in was also maybe saying, we don't want to rent you for one year. We want to give you an extension. You still, A, have to be willing to extend his contract and understand that's going to impact your cap for future years. And B, you still have to have enough 
to be able to absorb the contract, even if you tweak it, Paul, for this year, this late in the season, meaning most teams, think about it. You've been through the draft. You've been through free agency. You've been through the bulk of the trade season. Most teams at this stage have a good idea of how their books look for 2022. So if you make a trade now, you have to be able to say, we have the flexibility to bring in that player, even if we cut the number down a little. And I don't think most teams in the NFL have that luxury. So I think that's what made it also a little bit challenging, whether you're going to extend his contract or not, you still had to have room for this calendar year, as opposed to worrying about 23, 24 and beyond. Now, with with respect to your point about the trade-off, they are bringing in a versatile group of guys that are going to play a variety of different positions. But I think, speaking of positions, let's now move forward in terms of, okay, how do you go about replacing James Bradbury? Because not only did they lose Bradbury, Paul, it's important to note, and I know we've been a few months removed, but Logan Ryan is also not on this team. So you lost two veterans. If you go back in 2020, that offseason, I was looking at the free agency group they brought in. I know Logan Ryan came in right at the beginning of the season. He wasn't really here for much of camp, but those were two guys that made quite an impact in the secondary specifically. Yeah. Now you have neither one of them on the roster. So Adoree Jackson is the lone player in the secondary, and I'm including safeties and corners because some of these guys are interchangeable. I don't want to just split it by position. Adoree Jackson is the lone polished veteran in that group. Julian Love is right behind him, but even Love, based on his previous experience, is still developing and learning as a player. Everybody outside of that group that I just named, those two guys, were drafted between 2020 and this year. So this is an extreme youth movement that Wink Martindale is going to have to rely on. And I don't think right now, if you ask the Giants defensive staff that they would say we have absolutely everybody's role solidified and we know 100 (laughs) percent what we would be asking them to do in place of Bradbury not happening (laughs) not happening Lance they've got question marks and they know that and and Shane's not done I mean let's not kid ourselves the Giants had about six million under the cap before the Bradbury cut so now they've got a little over 16 maybe 17 million okay we know they need about 12 for the draft class that still leaves them a handful of millions uh, to play with. So still more work to do, essentially. There's no question there will be more work to do, and they will be looking and trying to bring somebody in. Um, I I, I can go over some numbers about some of the young rookies or some of the young guys in the secondary. We'll do that a little bit later. I don't want to hold people up now. They want to get in on the phones. So we'll do some of that later. I'll give you some interesting numbers on the remaining guys who may battle for that cornerback position. But I would throw out... If you look at the street free agents, there's a guy on my radar, and I want to stress this. This is my radar, not the Giants' radar. I do not know who the front office is looking at. But if it were me and I had an opportunity to pick up a a quality veteran who is on the street right now, Desmond Trufant would be the guy that would fit the bill for me. A press corner uh, at a little over 30 years old, I think he's 31 years old, made a little over a million dollars last year, finished up with the Raiders, has had two or three injury-plagued seasons after starting for a handful of years with the Atlanta Falcons and playing some good quality football. Six-foot corner, so he's got some size and length. He's got some physicality. And, and as far as I'm concerned, he would fit the bill for me because he's going to come in inexpensively. You know that. I mean, after the way his, his last three years have gone with the injuries and he's bounced around to a couple of teams because he's been hurt and hasn't been able to give them anything, 
uh, if he's healthy, I would kick the tires on him because I think he fits the mold of what the Giants need. A six-foot press corner who's physical, who has experience, who has been a quality player in this league before. I'm pretty sure he's gone to at least one Pro Bowl when he was with Atlanta, if I'm not mistaken. Lance. He did, 2015. Okay? I think, to me, he would be the brightest blip on my radar today. And I've had a few people tweet me, oh, go go for Jimmy Smith, you know, the, the Raven, the Raven sure. uh, guy who'd been in this league for a decade. Well, his whole career has been littered with injury. He's 34 years old, and he told the, the Baltimore media after last season that he was seriously mulling retirement and that if he did come back and play in 2022, he would only come back and play for the Ravens. He wants to be a lifetime Raven. So I don't think Jimmy Smith is going to be uh, a highly thought of on the odds makers charts in terms of a potential replacement here. And I get the Wink Martindale connection, but but given those factors that I just talked about, I don't think Smith would be in line. I think Desmond Trufant for me is the brightest blip on the radar. I I, I really think it'd be a terrific fit. Well, he's a veteran to your point. He's been with a variety of teams, a variety of schemes, and let's face it. If the Giants are going to go down that road of bringing in a veteran who fits that bill of a Desmond Trufant, you're going to have to find somebody that's willing to play for that million-dollar range, Paul, because if they still need to find more room to just sign the rookie class, okay, then they're going to have to find even more room to create to be able to sign a free agent or two. So you're not going to necessarily be able to make a huge splash at that point, which means you're going to have to take a flyer on a veteran who may be looking for a one-year deal, maybe looking to bring up his stock and fits within those financial parameters. So all of those players, I think, are going to be targets potentially for the Giants. It's just a matter of whether or not Wink Martindale feels they're a good fit for what he wants to run. You know, that's the other thing. If you're going to bring in a corner, remember, in this defense, and he was exposed to more zone and not man-to-man, then I don't know necessarily if that's going to be beneficial for this team. You might as well develop and play a young guy under those circumstances. Well, that's why I'm, I'm coming up with Trufant. Sure. I'm connecting yeah. all the dots, and he does fit the bill in, in so many ways, and he made some pretty good money uh, in his final couple of years with the Falcons. So, you know, at this stage of his career, I think he is going to be one of those veteran minimum guys. And you bring him in as an insurance policy, okay, and what you do is you say to him, hey, we're going to let you compete for the job. We'll have incentives built in, triggers built in, that if it turns out that you wind up being the starter and you do X number of plays, X number of percentage of the games, and so forth and so on, you'll get some more money built in. I, I think it's a win for him. I think it's a win for the Giants. Now, they may have some other guys in mind, but from a periphery perspective, not being upstairs in the front office, that's the guy to me that makes the most sense. Here's one last thing I want to throw out, and we'll get into some of the other secondary members a little bit later on in the program. But let me pose this to you in terms of my last point. And by the Paul, way, Lance, he only made a million last year as his base salary. Correct. Well, that was the number that you threw out earlier. Right, right. So I'm completely with you. And I think that ballpark is probably what the Giants are looking at, especially given the limited resources. But I want to go to a larger point. I was emphasizing that maybe it's more sensible to take a young player and throw him into a baptism by fire scenario because if you're going to rent a veteran for a year I understand the goal is you want to be competitive you want to win but if you're also Wink Martindale and you're Brian Dable and you're trying to build something here developing the young guys Paul I would say is even more critical 
than necessarily giving a lot of snaps to veterans. Now, if you want to bring in a veteran and you tell them, hey, we want you to be like an extension of the coaching staff, but we still want to, by midway through the season, get the younger guys on the field, and he's okay with that, great. But I don't know if it makes a lot of sense to bring in a veteran that is going to monopolize snaps and take them away from these young guys who, based on what I said, everybody's pretty much 2020 to 2022 who really need the reps and need to get on the field as much as possible this season. Well, let me go back and rewind like three minutes ago when I said insurance policy. That's how I feel about it. I I think you bring him in as an insurance policy, as a mentor, and as a guy who, much like, remember when they had Mike Remmers, uh, you know, uh, and they had um, um, the other right tackle who they brought in afterwards, the guy from the Patriots, Cam, what's his name? Cam Fleming. Cam Fleming. Cam Fleming. Yes. You bring in a guy as an insurance policy, and you say, listen, we want you to kind of be a mentor, but if necessary— and we just don't have someone to beat you out, then you're going to be a hold-the-fort guy. You will be, Parcells always used to call them, hold-the-fort guys. That is a veteran starter who's simply there for a year to hold the fort. Hold the fort, guys. I, I, you know, I'm, <laughs> being the Parcells whisperer, I'm always going to come up with these things because that's what Bill ingrained in my head. And, and I think that Trufant's a hold-the-fort guy. Uh, I'm not saying you give him the job. What I'm saying is... And I'm a big Aaron Robinson fan. You know this, Lance. I've been preaching this guy for months. Um, I think you want Robinson to win the job. But there's nothing wrong with bringing in a Trufant and saying, okay, let's see how it shakes out. And if Trufant winds up being your best option and he has to play, there's nothing wrong with Robinson mentoring under him for a year. Not at all. Yeah. So so to me, it's just a win-win all around. That's why I'm pushing him. But but I can honestly tell you – I do not know what the Giants have in mind. They may have somebody who they're going to target in a trade. Maybe they've got somebody else who they're waiting for to get cut because, you know, they already have in the personnel department a list of guys who they believe will probably be casualties over the course of the next few months. That's part of what they do. Yeah, especially as teams start to sign their own draft class. They may have to lose a guy or two to make their own room for that. So that's certainly possible as well. Um, I just simply looked at the guys who are available today and after going through the list and just trying to, you know, compute all the different rationales and reasons that that I would want the guy, this was the name that I came up with as my top target. 201-939-4513 is the telephone number. Lance Meadow, Paul Dettino with you here. Tuesday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live. A few reminders before we open up the lines. Giant season tickets are on sale now for the 2022 season. In addition to ticket savings, membership benefits include access to exclusive events, experiences, pre-sales, and more. You can lock in your seats starting at just $100. Call 888-NYG-1925 or... You can visit Giants.com slash tickets for more information. Also, don't miss your chance to experience a premier hospitality experience watching Giants games at world-class concerts in 2022 as a Giants suite partner. Limited full-season locations are available, or you can place a deposit for individual games. Call 888-NYG-1925, or you can visit for this one, Giants.com slash suites for more information. Let's open up the lines as we move forward here on Big Blue Kickoff Live. Phil is in Vermont, and he checks in with us here on Tuesday's edition. What's happening, Phil? Hey, guys. How are you? Hi. Uh, doing very well. What's on your mind? Depressing situation as far as the roster goes. I mean, Shane and Dable were really handled, handed 
uh, a tough hand. I mean, when you look at the talent on the roster relative to cost, which is really about what you got to look at. It's not just talent. It's what that talent is costing you. We really, and they inherited the worst roster in the league, cost-benefit. So now we have to get younger, we have to get better, and we have to get cheaper. And guys like Bradbury may be a great guy. I'm sure Shepard is a great guy. Uh, Leonard Williams is a decent player. They're not going to be on this team when we're competitive. (laughs) Um, So the sooner we make the transition, I'm with you, Lance, to getting young players playing time, and uh, then the better. Because holding the fort with a lot of veterans that won't be there when we're good is just killing time. It's not helping us. If anything, it'll hurt us because we'll win a couple of extra games, which I hate rooting against my team, and I never do. But we need draft picks, guys. I mean, this is going to be a multi-draft pick rebuild with supplements from free agency once we have the money. Uh, well, and I think that's how they've operated, Phil, in fairness, especially this year. You know, they didn't make a lot of splashes. 11 draft picks you're bringing in. There'll be some undrafted guys. And we've been emphasizing on this program, it's not just 2022. It's the 2020 class, the 2021, the guys that they inherited. They also have to develop. As far as right. your point about Sterling Shepard. That's why Shepherd, I like what they're doing. That's, yeah, that's well, as like far as. They're, I, I mean, they're doing what they have to do. I mean, the reality check, guys, is. We're, we're, we're signing people off the street just so we can field a team. I mean, we had no tight ends. I mean, how do you get in a situation? I, I mean, I don't want to relive the past, but how do you get in a situation where you, you have whole position groups where you literally have nobody? Um, not Shane and Dayball's fault. They've got to try to fix it. Now, my issue with Shane and Dayball is I am not crazy about the draft, uh, and I think it may have cost us another year. Day one, home run. No one's going to argue with it. It's kind of a layup. They were there for you. They didn't have to make a lot of choices, but you got to give them credit. They delivered. It's after that, guys. Uh, I'm an LSU fan. I watch all the LSU games. Cordell Flott? I wasn't even sure he was going to get drafted. I I mean, he's about 175 pounds, and that's generous. He's not skilled enough to play on the outside, and he's not tough enough to play on the inside. I, I just don't see it. My best friend is a bigwig at UNC. He contributes to the football program, watches every game. He's, he's clued in. Sam Howell went from a top 10 pick to, grade, to round five for two reasons. He lost a lot of first reason is he lost a lot of NFL talent, you know, left. But the second reason was the offensive line sucked, guys. And he was running for his life. If you look at his statistics and his running yardage from year to year, they were not good. And we drafted two guys from there, not one. I, I'm mystified by the picks after the first round. I mean, Wondell Robinson, guys, he, he, Shane can tell you all he wants. He's not concerned about Tony. You cannot make that draft pick if you're not thinking we have questions about Tony. He's not smart, he's not tough, and he's not dependable. The three things that they said they wanted. So I'm sure he's not obviously going to say we don't we don't want him or we don't we question him. Of course they're going to say they love him, but 
you can't. It's too duplicative. You don't draft that guy. Well, but you know what? Let, let me cut you off there, Phil, because I, I think not. what you're overlooking is in Buffalo they had Isaiah McKenzie and Cole Beasley on the roster, and they used those guys simultaneously. And if you look at their measurements, neither one of those guys are huge, and they're both shifty. So I think it has more to do with the vision of Kafka and Dable than necessarily the duplication of Tony. And even Kansas City, McCole Hardman, not a big guy. Tyreek Hill, not a big guy. Yep. So there was that's duplication point, in both of that's those offenses. He's yeah. a scheme-specific player, Caller, exactly. and that's what you fail to realize. Yeah. He's a scheme-specific player. And, and unfortunately, I, I guess maybe your donor at UNC doesn't know a lot about football because uh, the, the deal is with these two offensive linemen is that Azudu, uh, my understanding is the long-range plan, when Feliciano was signed, he's a one-year contract, okay? My understanding is Azudu not only has potential starting caliber talent in him, he's a year away. I understand that. He's more of a little bit of a red shirt, but there is a very good chance he winds up competing as the starting center next year. And as Lance will tell you, drafts are not just for now, they're for the future. So you should be applauding the fact that they see that, and that is part of what they're projecting. McKeithen, I am told, is not a guard. You're absolutely right. He's out of position. McKeithen, I am told, they can project right now the way they're looking at him. They think he's going to be the swing tackle of the future in case Matthew Pert does not work out because you have to have well, a I swing tackle on this year. No one, no one would love to be more wrong than I am. I mean, I would love to be more wrong. I just, I followed the camp of you had nine picks. I looked at it that we needed to come out of there with four impact players. And I feel like we got two. You know, I mean, that's kind of where I'm at. But if I'm wrong, love, I, I would love to be wrong. It'll help us out if we are. I just always follow in the camp of I want proven productive players in winning programs, these reaches for guys who weren't all that great in college and you're projecting what they might do. I, I'm, I, I always fall in the camp of I feel like we were in a situation where we, we didn't need to take those chances. We really needed to look for players that were closer to ready now. All but, right, I, I'll, get, I'll you know, give you look, two points before we let you go. First of all, part of the reason the Giants got into the problem they did offensive line-wise is that they didn't have any, any young offensive linemen to groom and to help fill in the spots as things deteriorated. So this administration is saying, you know what? We're not going to let that happen. Not only are we rebuilding the offensive line for this year, but we're also making sure that we draft two potential guys down the road who are going to be, in a year or two, significant either very strong backups or guys who may in two or three years wind up having to be guys who start because you never know how an offensive line is going to break down. So they deserve credit instead of criticism for what they did with these two offensive linemen. And then I would furthermore say to you, I agree a thousand percent, and you heard me say a billion times on this program going into the draft, the Giants need at least three guys in those first three rounds who are going to give them immediate production. Well, I think we know Neil and Thibodeau will, and I'm telling you, they've got plans for Wandale Robinson. He is a scheme-specific player. They've got gadget chapters in their playbook. You will get some big play production out of this kid. There will be the three players out of the first three rounds that you're almost assuredly to get some impact out of. 
Now, Cordell Flott, I don't know. I'll be perfectly frank with you. I don't know because if Darnay Holmes winds up being the slot guy this year, then Flott is just buried on the depth chart for a season. So, so be it. If that's what happens and he's going to have to wait another year to, to give them something, so be it. Maybe he turns out to be a special teams demon. Because, by the way, with all the turnover on this roster, the Giants are going to need to figure out if they've got three or four special teams demons who can help win field position. So I think you've got to look a lot deeper into the onion before you start looking at the gray clouds overhead. And, Phil, we'll let you go on okay. that note. Well, listen, pre- guys, I appreciate uh, Have a good day. the optimism, Paul. And, uh, look, I, no matter what, I'm going to be rooting for the Giants to win, even though I know we really do need a high traffic next year. Have, Have a, a good day, guys. Appreciate the phone call. Uh, just a, a few things that I just want to expand upon that you said and, and he said. Special teams cannot be overlooked. And a lot of the guys who are drafted in the later rounds come with special teams experience. So mm-hmm. that's encouraging, especially since that's pretty much going to be the main way they're going to get on the field. That's number one. Number two, the last caller's point about, well, I want proven experience. I'm with the caller. I would much rather bring in a guy with a lot of proven experience. But, Paul, in fairness, if you look at the draft class overall, you're talking about a lot of three-year starters, so you do have proven experience. Now, granted, it may not fit the bill of they're coming from a program that won 10 games consistently every year. I'll give you that. But if your label is, your bar is proven experience, I think that was met. And then the other way to look at it is— I think he mislabeled his his comment. I think what he really meant was he wanted guys who had— significant headline star experience. No, and I a, lot, a lot of these okay. other guys the Giants drafted were three-year starters, but they weren't headline grabbers, and they weren't necessarily very high-profile players in terms of the, the, the draft books. And sure. I think that's what he meant, Lance, and that's a fair comment. Outside of the first round, the Giants did not necessarily draft a bunch of names who were highlighted in the draft books. Yeah. I, you can't dispute that. that no, I, I'm not I, disputing and that. And I think that's, where he, was, that I think that's yeah. where he was going. I okay, think well, I may going. have interpreted it a little bit differently. Be, when you throw out proven experience, the proven experience is there. He I used just bad think, words. He well, used but, bad words. But to take your point a step up, it's the bottom line when it comes to college football, because think about how many schools there are in comparison to just 32 teams in the NFL. The way players on an individual basis, Paul, get recognized, more often than not is how. You play for a prominent program. No, because you're on national TV consistently. You're the premier game. No disrespect, but like Indiana, for example, okay? Micah McFadden, he led the team in tackles and tackles for loss each of the last three seasons. He was a good blitzer. He had 12 and a half sacks out of the last two seasons. If you ask anyone who covered Indiana football, they'll tell you Micah McFadden was one of their very good players. Mm-hmm. But on a national scale, no disrespect to Micah, who the hell's talking about Micah McFadden? Right. Because Indiana wasn't winning a lot of football games. I think that's what the caller was talking about. And quite, but, but quite well, honestly, I interpreted that. Look, look, yeah. look, how great Be- look how great Beavers played for Cincinnati last year. Sure. And they were one of the great stories in college football so you know to you and me we're thinking okay there's nothing wrong with this guy inside linebacker in a three in a three four possibly an edge rusher plays downhill uh, proficient at a blitz you and I say well Wick Martindale can find a way to do something with this guy and at the very least he's going to kill it on special teams okay but the caller is thinking to himself well, I was looking in the draft guides, and Beavers, you know, he, he was he wasn't getting any highlights at all. Uh, so I think that's where he was going. I really believe that. No, and I could understand that perspective. I think, though, and this goes back to something that you were scratching the surface of. 
the Giants' issues that put themselves in this position is the lack of development right. by some late-round picks. Mm-hmm. Because what you were getting at, and I thought this was an interesting point, if you were to ask me a team that has a good offensive line and has a good job developing young talent, and then when guys leave in free agency or they're traded away, they then bring the next guy, Paul, on the depth chart up as opposed to going outside the organization. The Indianapolis Colts come to mind. And the reason why I bring up the Colts is last year, and Mark Lewinsky, they already lost, but last year there was a game against Arizona. If you go back, I believe it was Christmas or maybe Thanksgiving. I could be confusing the holidays. And the bottom line is that game they went in, they lost a few offensive linemen. Quentin Nelson didn't play, I think, because of COVID. And then a few guys got hurt in the game. They wound up winning that game, Paul, because a lot of the guys that were backups had been exposed to plenty of experience previously, and they're also developing them in practice, that they didn't really miss much of a beat. That's what the Giants have been lacking. The Giants have been lacking a guy, right? That if some of the starters go down, you bring them in, and you're not really worried, or you're not sort of saying, well, what exactly do we have in this guy? I mean, short of Shane Lemieux, and we don't even know enough about Lemieux because he got hurt last year. You can't really point to another guy that has blossomed and worked his way up the depth chart and has become a staple on the offensive line because Andrew Thomas was a high-round pick, okay? He doesn't apply, Paul. And then you now bring in Evan Neal, high-round pick. That's not a developmental guy. And then the guys on the interior, Glowinski's a free agent. Feliciano's a free agent. And then let's say Garcia wins the left guard spot. There's another free agent. So, I mean, that to me spells out, I think, what you and I were getting at. No question. In fact, in the last several years, the only developmental offensive lineman who ever really amounted to anything was Nick Gates. And he was an undrafted rookie free agent. Yeah, so he wasn't even drafted. Yeah, you know? But I'll give you the developmental factor because you can develop undrafted guys as well. No question. And, and that's the problem. The Giants went for years, not only without a, a very good offensive line, but they had nobody coming through the pipeline. So now this administration says we're going to get a third rounder and a fifth rounder in the pipeline. I, I'm sorry, but I applaud that. I think that's a good thing. Well, and listen, the jury is still out with all of these draft picks because they haven't played one snap. But Azudu, I think the appeal is you get a player that was exposed to three different positions, change positions during drives, and as you hit on, and I spoke to Mac Brown recently. If you missed it, it's up on the Giants Huddle podcast. I even asked him about the potential of him to play center, and Paul, he certainly liked that idea and said one of the reasons why they didn't explore that was because of the stutter that he's worked through and made significant strides with because of the communication with the quarterback. So if he continues to improve on that side, and clearly he's doing yeoman's work in terms of making that a national issue for other people to acknowledge, then who's to say two, three years down the road that maybe he's not somebody that perhaps they explore at the center position. Even if this O-line this year turns out to be terrific, right? Thomas will be around a long time. Neil's going to be around a long time. Glowinski, you feel, is going to be around for certainly a few years. But Feliciano's a one-year deal. Shane Lemieux coming off of his knee injury, we hope, we hope that he can be part of that answer. But you don't know that. And Max Garcia, who is a three-year starter of of the seven years or so he's been in the NFL, he was only signed to a one-year deal. So the truth is, it's possible even if this line plays pretty well this year, you might have to find a new center or re-sign Feliciano or maybe even get a reinforcement at left guard. So what's so bad you know, about, about taking a guy in a Zudu who's got the flexibility 
to play inside or outside. I, I, to, to me, that's how you avoid a problem. You take this guy in the third round. I think every one of us on BBBKL all said you're gonna, they're going to take an offensive lineman in the third round. I think we all said that. The question was, who is it going to be? And they took a guy who has such positional flexibility. How can anybody not like that pick? Well, and I also campaigned. I said, if you're going to take an offensive lineman third round or later, he better be exposed to multiple positions. Absolutely. He has to. That's a must. And at least Izudu applies to that label. So that's critical because if he's not going to be an automatic starter, he better be able to cross-train at multiple positions, and you already know he can do that based on what he did at UNC. All right, let's head back to the phone lines. Joshua is in New York joining us here on Big Blue Kickoff Live. What's happened, Joshua? Hey, how's it going, guys? Hi. Long time right. Well, appreciate that. What do you got for uh, us? I had a two-part question. One, um, sorry to see James go. You know, he gave us some good years. But um, with James gone, who other than Robinson, who do you see competing on the outside? Rodarius Williams and perhaps Jaron Williams. And maybe this okay. is a good time to go over these numbers. Last year, Aaron Robinson allowed 15 completions on 27 targets, 56% for 173 yards and one touchdown. Uh, the touchdown was by Mooney against Chicago on a right crossing route on a fourth and one from the Giants' four-yard line. Okay, uh, so Aaron Robinson, you know, showed some really good things last year. Uh, as far as Rodarius Williams, we know what we saw during training camp in the preseason. Then he got injured. So limited, limited reps, allowed three targets, three completions, 42 yards, and a touchdown. In fact, I can even give you that touchdown, too. I have it in my notes. Uh, it was against Dallas. Amari Cooper, left seam route on second and 10 from the Giants, 24. Uh, Aaron Robinson, I already gave you. Uh, Jaron Williams, nine completions, 19 targets, 47% for 60 yards, uh, allowed one touchdown. And he had one pass defensed. I should mention also that Aaron Robinson had three passes defensed. Williams' touchdown was uh, by Palmer of uh, the Chargers on a third and eight from the Giants' 12. It was a right out, and then it was a catch and run. So that is exactly everything you need to know about the three guys currently in competition for that job. And remember, Robinson also missed half of last season because Correct. he was on pop. Yeah. So, you know, all of these numbers, and those are all great numbers, Paul, but remember, also small sample size for all very of these small. guys. Yeah, very, so, very small. You know, you want to know, well, what happens if we now play you over 16, 17 games and we keep you on the field on the outside for the majority of the season? Then all of a sudden, that's going to be the true tell sign. But I would pretty much echo the sentiments to answer your question, Joshua, about the primary guys. You're probably looking at a Dory Jackson and Aaron Robinson as the front runners to be the two outside guys. And Radarius Williams, depending on how he recovers and gets back on the field after missing most of last season due to injury. I mean, those are the main guys. And Jaron Williams, who was the undrafted free agent. Now, that's why I think I, it's important to bring in a veteran because even if the veteran yeah. does not wind up winning the job, you want, you want Robinson to win the job. I really believe that. I think that's the best-case scenario. But to have a veteran presence in that room besides Adoree Jackson – Somebody like Trufant, who has been around for more years than Jackson, uh, that would be important for me because he I could. Totally agree. You know, and that's why I, you know, I, the caller before he's like, well, you don't want too many hold the fort guys. I get that, but he doesn't have to be a hold the fort guy. He could just be a mentor. You know, the idea is that he doesn't win the job. You want 
Aaron yeah. Robinson to win the job. And he did that on his way transitioning out of Atlanta and when he was in Oakland. So I think that would be a, a good pickup, Paul. I think that would be a real good pickup. Um, also, my second question, guys, based on um, where we are in the NFC East, um, I mean, I hear a lot of people saying we're like we're way down there in the barrel. We're a terrible team, but I'm looking at our like our roster based on on the starters that we have. How far off do you really think we are? Just competing in the NFC East, looking at what Dallas did and the pieces they lost, looking at the Eagles and looking at Washington. Where do you see us sitting in that mix? Well, a lot, Joshua. And we'll let you go on that note. Appreciate the phone call. A lot, when anybody asks me this question about the makeup of the division, I always preface and I say there's a lot of fluctuation in this division. So it's not crazy for a team to make a move within a year, given the fact that there really hasn't been a true juggernaut. Dallas has been probably the most consistent team record-wise, but I don't necessarily say there's a team that's a brick wall and you're not going to be able to pass them through. But the one thing that if you look at those teams like the Cowboys – and the Eagles, maybe the Eagles slightly to a lesser degree, is I think they have an idea of what they have in their quarterback. Dallas certainly does. Okay, Philadelphia maybe to a little bit of a lesser degree, but I think Philadelphia is encouraged based on the weapons they've brought in and what Hurts got through last season. Yeah. With the Giants, Paul, okay, that still is a question mark in terms of the durability and the health of Daniel Jones. And then also, you know, can he now bring it together, learning yet another new offense? So whenever you talk about the division, it's fair then to put the Giants behind the rest of the pack well, what about, simply because of that position. What about Washington? Carson Wentz sure. has had injury history. He's Absolutely. also going to another new system, his third in three years. To me, Carson Wentz is in no better position than Daniel Jones. No, I, the only difference I would put is that Washington's defense, I think you have a little bit more structure and continuity in comparison to the Giants because the Giants now have a new defensive coordinator. That so is the true. other side of the ball, I would argue, Paul, helps balance things out with respect to the question mark mm-hmm. of the quarterback. That's fair. That would be my response to that. That's fair. But, I mean, it, it still goes back to Daniel Jones. And the other thing is, okay, the average scoring offense for the Giants, Paul, over the last two seasons— and I understand it's a new scheme, but we had these same conversations when Jason Garrett took over. I know. Okay. Okay. I know. And and once again, this is just perspective. This is not saying that there's no hope. It's an honest answer to a question that the last caller posed. If you're going to tell me the Giants are going to score a touchdown more than they did last season, okay, Paul, we got something to talk about. You want to take me to that 24, 25 point barometer every game? You could bank on that? Okay. Hey, that completely changes things. But if you can't guarantee me a touchdown better, then the last two years' production, which has been hovering around 16 to 17 points, then that's something else that I would turn to with the quarterback question mark with respect to the upside of where this team's going to go this season. Well, you're right. And that's why a lot of this is not only on Daniel Jones, but will you have a healthy Saquon Barkley? Will you have a healthy and productive Kenny Galladay? Will you have a healthy and productive Kadarius Toney? I mean... I get it. The last two years, the offense has really, really sputtered along as if the sure. transmission was broken. And and unfortunately, okay, unfortunately, and I say that, but maybe it's fortunate. I don't know. There have been broken pieces. I mean, the car can't drive down the highway on one tire. And they've had one tire for most of the last two years. Now, they've got 
more rubber on the on the on the on the wheels. They've now got four tires. Let's see if the car runs. I, I mean, I don't know what else to tell you. Well, but here's the other thing, okay? And I love your analogies. I can't believe we're going from food to another realm of society. I'm amazed that you're adding versatility. But then, do you have the capacity to get good mileage in terms of the gas? Well, okay, we'll hope that's so. the other part Gotta of the equation. So. Gotta okay, the so. car could function. To your point, you could have all the parts, but then you add the gas in, and now are you getting? The bang for your buck element in terms of the talent you brought in. Yeah, that, no, I, so. Lance. The the problem is without the core functions and the basic things that you need just to make things run, it's impossible to project how well or how efficient the results are going to be, and that's the biggest problem here with the Giants is that they haven't had enough of the necessary components in place on a consistent basis for several years. And until that happens, you can't truly make an honest assessment as to how good this team could be. One other thing I want to throw out before we get back to phone calls, it goes back to the conversation about the limited experience for the secondary. I'm looking up the snap counts last year. I just want to read them to further emphasize what I was saying in conjunction to what you threw out. So Adoree Jackson played just over 69% of the snaps. Now, the reason I'm bringing that up is, okay, I want to now name you the guys that we talked about as potential replacements for James Bradbury. Aaron Robinson played 22%. Radarius Williams played four, and then if you want to go to Jaron Williams, 16, okay? So that's 42% of the snaps if you combine those three guys, whereas Adoree played nearly 70%. So if you take those three, you add all of their snaps up percentage-wise, you still don't even match what Adoree accomplished in just one season with the Giants there last year. So that's, to me, an example that spells out the small sample size, Paul, which yeah. what you were throwing out in terms of your numbers, but I mean, that just further elevates what we're talking about. Very limited opportunities in an NFL setting. This for most is of these why other someone along the lines of a B.W. Webb of the past, a Leon Hall of the past, those are the kinds of guys. That guy on that shelf is somebody who I believe is a necessary component to add to this roster. Rick is in Tampa, and he joins us here on Big Blue Kickoff Live. What's happening, Rick? Gentlemen, how are you? Hi. How are you today? Doing all right. Uh, what do you got for us? That's good. Well, you know what? A couple quick things. Uh, one, you were just talking, the, the, the conversation you just had. Yeah, it's all it's all on Daniel Jones, what we get from him. You know, Carson Wentz, like you said, we, we kind of, even though he hasn't been what he's supposed to be, we kind of know what he is. And with Daniel Jones, I mean, it, it, health is one issue. We, is he going to be directing his passes again like he's done for the last couple of years? Everybody knows where he's going. I don't know if he's going to fix that. If it, Health is the main thing. What are we going to get out of Daniel Jones will dictate where the Giants fall in the division, how far we go. I think that is most important. I agree 100%. And I hope I hope he's healthy enough and we, he, he, he makes that next step. So I have to say that, first of all. But I do want to ask a, a question about two things. One is that to me, it seems like we've had cornerbacks and, and, and D-backs in our drafts for the last three years. It seems like we're, we were taking two or three every year. And so I thought what, that we had a strength of them to play. And so, I mean, that's my first question is, are, are they all there still, whether it's Darnay Holmes or all these guys? 
to, to, to fill in the spots that we're going to need. Also, Blake Martinez, a two help. He's fine, right? Everything's go. He's he's ready to go, right? He's a go There's and no... is supposed to be ready by training camp. That's correct. All right. Because I can't say with any more excitement how important to have him back mm-hmm. in the team playing. Because I think that is going to be such a huge lift and an important part of the Giants' defense with him back. So I, I, I can't say that anymore how important it will be for him to be back. I do want to gate as a center. Is his recovery, should we even count on that, or is he going to be a question mark? Well, Gates still uh, plans on coming back. His rehab is going well, but I think you have to list him as a question mark at the beginning of the season. I mean, that's why they signed Feliciano. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree, and I and I think we need to have two. And I think Feliciano is a great signing. Well, Garcia can play was, center, also. Remember, and that's why that was a critical sign as well. Yes, yes, I thought. Yeah, exactly. the The idea behind our third pick, I think him and Tony will, I think, will have a feed off each other slash competition slash both of them out there to get as many balls wanting to get you know the ball as much as possible i think it'll be a, a healthy competition and you're saying that i think it was lance or, or john has said that or you paul as well i mean is that robinson right our third pick is a a punt returner and kick returner yes yeah and yeah special teams yeah players. and i that will be i've been i've been saying this to you guys for years i want that punt i thought darnay holmes may not may have turned into something but I think to have that, even though the kickoffs aren't quite the same as they used to, but punts are for field position, to have that spark plug there, I was always jealous that we never had that guy who would take it to the hole or, you know, uh, 20, 30-yard return. So hopefully that would be it. But I think Tony and him could have a bit of a competition. Uh, what do you think of that um, regarding the two of them? Well, let me ask you this. How much of a headache do you think it's going to be for a secondary or a defensive coordinator if the Giants put Tony and Robinson on the field at the same time, you got oh, two. You got two mosquitoes on the field, right? Simultaneously, right. you could line them up in, in, a, in a stack. You could line them up as part of a, a triple threat bunch. You could put one on on left slot, one on right slot, and because both of those guys are kind of gadget receivers, what is what's going to go through a secondary's mind when they see those guys out there? They're not going to yeah. know which guy's doing what. Right, exactly. And that's what I foresee if that's, uh, you know, obviously Tony's health and everything, but I think he'll be okay. I think they'll feed off each other. I think it's great, and I'm looking forward to that part of it. And uh, like I said, Daniel Jones is health and being able to hit that receiver and is going to be big. But uh, I think that's the most important thing, and I'm, I'm looking forward to that aspect of the offense. So, I mean, and the offensive line is there. So, that's it. That's what I'm thinking. And but Blake Martinez is definitely going to be a huge, huge, huge. Can't forget about how important it was that we did not have him. 150 last year. tackles yeah. a year, you know. 150 tackles a year. That hurt when you yeah, lost. You're that. Talking about the staple of yeah. the middle of the defense. So I mean, that of course goes without saying. And appreciate the phone call, Rick. Uh, having him back. Remember, he went down very early in the season. He got hurt in that Atlanta game. So uh, they were without him, and they put in a number of younger guys in his place. Now, Micah McFadden certainly has experience being an interior linebacker, but I really don't think the Giants want to throw him all of a sudden into the main mix. It's 
be nice if he can learn from Blake Martinez. So absolutely, there's a number of guys that you could point to returning from injury, and Martinez is right atop the list. As far as the special teams point, I mean, keep this in mind, Paul. Jabril Peppers and Farrow Cooper were the two main punt returners last year. They're mm-hmm. no longer on the roster. So, Correct. I mean, right there, you know the Giants need to explore other options. And Robinson and Tony, there's no reason why you can't test the waters with them. But you also need to walk the fine line, maybe more so in Tony's case, given the fact that he failed to stay healthy last year, is how many hits do you want to expose him to right out of the gates considering he didn't get through an entire first full season. If he got through a first full season, and you know me, I'm a fine proponent for I don't take guys away from special teams because of the fear of injury. But the fact that Tony hasn't even yet to shown that he can get through a full season, I maybe would be a little bit more hesitant in terms of that department. No, I understand that. And quite frankly, there's another guy here too who I'm sure is going to get a look during the summer. That's Richie James, yeah. the former 49er. Sure. You know, he's another one of those uh, smaller Smurf-type receivers who is shown to be pretty dynamic on kick returns, you know, during his short career. So there's competition here. That's the point. You see, you don't want to be in a position if you're the Giants and you're trying to get better. You don't want to just hand roster spots and snaps to players. That That's a good way not to get better. You want competition. You want guys to push each other to get the best out of the winner of the competition so that your team improves. This team can't sit on any of its laurels at any position. That's not, they're not good enough to do that. We all know they need to get better. Competition's the best way to do that. Especially when you have a lot of young guys in sure. one position too. More of a reason why you should bring them in to compete because the last thing you want to do is hand a rookie who just walked into the league a starting job. Without saying, a oh, doubt. It's going to be this easy. Yeah. Without a doubt. I I totally concur with you, Lance. And by the way, Richie James, another guy that has potential, as Paul pointed out, but also has a bit of an injury history. So there's another guy that's got a little bit of baggage because San Francisco is very high on him. The problem is he couldn't necessarily always stay on the field, and he underwent knee surgery. I think that was the latest injury that he had to deal with. All right, let's head back to the phone lines. Phil is in North Carolina joining us here on Big Blue Kickoff Live. What's happening, Phil? Yeah, hi, guys. Thanks for taking the call. Enjoy the show, as always. Thank you. Uh, Thanks for tuning in. I'm just... Yeah, thanks. Uh, just fo- I'm joking. Just following up on my cousin Phil from Vermont. Uh, <laughs> I understand exactly what he's talking about, and and it's really come to me. It comes down to two picks that I really dislike. It's and the one is even more. You know, I'll tell you which one it is. But uh, uh, Robinson and Flott, I do not like those two picks. Uh, I, the guard is fine. I think there's a lot of upside with the guard. I think he's gonna. I think it's a great story uh, when I heard Mac talk about it. and It's just a wonderful story. I'm rooting for the guy, and the other guard is fine, too. But the, and, and the rest of the picks I'm fine with also, but it's real, really those two picks. And, and I think it's, you know, from, from, you know, we're pretty educated, the, the Giant listeners, and, and when they hear, you know, when, they com- when you compare where the Giants took those guys compared to what their big board rankings were, uh, is there's a quite a schism there, so I think that's that's the problem that that we have with those, you know, some specifically those picks. Well, go ahead, Paul. You want to say something? No, I oh. I think what you have to remember, and I know Lance will back me up on this. You know, 
Bill Polian, the Hall of Fame uh, front office executive, just was on Sirius a couple of weeks ago, and he actually put a number to it. I had never come up with a number from anybody, but he put a number to it. And he said no matter how many of these draft gurus, draft nicks, and draft pundits that you see and hear on TV or published books, they only know approximately 45% of what is in a player's personnel file coming into the draft. That's how little they know. They don't even know half. So if you're going to base your feelings about how you feel about these picks and you're going to look at somebody's book or listen to some clown on TV or radio, okay, and you're not going to put stock in the fact that the organization has spent how many hours, how many multi-millions of dollars, how much blood, sweat, and tears into researching these guys, knowing that their necks are on the line when they make those picks, then, then I, I got to say, I, I, I think you're making a sad mistake. Well, Phil, for clarification purposes, when you say on the big board, I'm assuming you're referring to what draft gurus put together on their big board. He's talking about pundits. Well, because we don't know the Giants' big board. That's why I just wanted to make sure. So that that was number one. Yeah, yeah, correct. Correct, Lance. Well, the, the other thing that I would just throw out, Phil, that I think is important to understand, and I may have said this on a previous show, even if it doesn't match up a selection with what you're reading online, and that's fine. Listen, a lot of these guys are knowledgeable who rank players. I'm not going to all of a sudden throw them all in one category under one umbrella, but I think it's important to understand the way the Giants, Phil, may look at a player is very different than how the Colts or the Jaguars or the Texans. So, for example, Wondell Robinson, because of how the Giants plan to utilize him in their scheme, may have more value to the Giants than another team who may not run something to further tap into his skill set. And I'll give you another example. The San Francisco 49ers, because I cover the league. Kyle Juszczyk, who's their fullback. If you ask most teams how the heck would you use Kyle Juszczyk, I don't know if they would have an idea. But Kyle Shanahan is so creative, he utilizes him as a receiver a fullback, a running back. So you could argue if the Niners were going back and drafting Kyle Juszczyk, they probably would take him maybe a little bit higher than most projections because they have a set idea and a plan of how to use him. So I think you have to understand, I think part of the logic as to why the Giants took certain players in specific rounds is they have a specific plan in how they're going to tap into them in comparison to maybe other teams not having that set idea. Hence and that why, changes things. Hence why I founded the term scheme-specific player. That's what Lance is talking about, scheme-specific no, player. No, I, I understand. I just, just follow up on that real quick. Uh, I want the Giants to view players like the Ravens view players. <laughs> oh, the Ravens also get very to, lucky. Those guys know how to, those guys know how to draft. Yeah, okay? No one's going to dispute and, that. The so, Ravens have a great track yeah, record, yeah. but they also seem to have guys drop it to their laps. It's incredible. Well, and also, Phil, by you bringing up Baltimore, it also says something about they also know how to utilize the guys that they draft too. Yes, okay? they do. You know, like, for example, Oway. Consistency in the yeah. coaching staff. Well, Odafe Owe, who, remember, a lot of people were questioning, well, he didn't have a lot of sack production. I don't know what we want to do with him. And then all of a sudden, he had a fantastic rookie year. So it goes back to scheme, usage. I mean, sure. Phil, that's a big part of the equation. Yeah. We're going to let you go on that that's note. I'm going to let you go on that note, Phil. Appreciate the phone call as we look to wrap up shop. But that, to me, is, I think, important to understand just the usage of players and teams value players differently because of the Mm -hmm. coaching staffs they have. And, you know, you may talk to a linebacker's coach on one team and a linebacker's coach on another team, and they're like, nope, don't love this linebacker. Well, why do you love this guy? Because of what we run. So that completely 
changes the equation. Final thought here, Lance. Yeah. Before we go, I did put up a poll this morning on Twitter, and I asked the fans, which veteran would you prefer to see the Giants start opposite cornerback Adoree Jackson in Week 1, assuming Julian Love remains at safety? And Aaron Robinson was the winner at 65%, uh, over 280 votes this morning on the poll. An incoming free agent was second at nearly 24%, followed by Rodarius Williams at nearly 9%. And then I had Holmes and Jaron Williams in a slash, and combined they got less than 3%. So I think I think there's a lot of people intrigued by Aaron Robinson. And again, we don't know exactly what he's going to be yet because of the small sample size. But I, I do know he is a third-round pick. And I do know that if you want to believe the pundits, okay, we'll, we'll throw that in there since everybody wants to talk about the pundits. Uh, people seem to think the Giants got really good value when they drafted him last year. Well, and I was just going to simply add, he is the highest pick out of all the players you named. So yes. it's understandable yes. why perhaps the expectations are a little bit higher, at least in the eyes of the fan base. All right, well, we're certainly going to continue to delve into the James Bradbury topic and who will replace him as we move forward the rest of the week. We'll be back up and running again on Wednesday with a new edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live coming your way at noon Eastern. A reminder that today's episode was part of the Giants platforms everywhere and Giants.com slash podcast. For Paul Dottino, I'm Lance Meadow. Say a lot to Giants. Giants.com for all the latest, and we'll speak to you on Wednesday right here on Big Blue Kickoff Live. Have a good one.